Morning, Chapel Hill. Just a reminder of what this weekend is all about and how much we have to be thankful for in this country. Um, Do take some time to remember this weekend those who have given their lives in the service of this country to make this place free and safe for us. And uh, there are several of you here um, that are either serving in the military now or have. And I just want to say thank you for what you do for this country. We appreciate you deeply and greatly. And um, we want you to know that you are honored. And uh, we appreciate everything that you do. Uh, Congratulations goes out to the Kirsten family on the marriage of Eric and Brianna yesterday. Um, It was a big deal. A lot of fun. We had a really good time together. Very excited for them and for their family. And as you can see today, um, I'm going to teach twice as much as what I usually teach. So I've got two screens up here. I can't do it with just one. (laughs) Three screens, that's right. And this one down here. Let's make it four. (laughs) And the one on the back wall. So five screens. It's a bonus day. Be thankful that you're here. All right. Uh, reminder today that um, we have our kids up here with us in the service today. Um, so parents, a few things for you. Um, there is a kids bulletin that has kids activities and kids lessons and stuff in it. If you didn't get that for your kids, go ahead and get it. Our ushers have some at the back there for you. We also have straight back there from where I am, we have activity bags for kids as well. If you want those to help your kids stay engaged and not uh, lose uh, lose um, focus on the boring pastor um, who's up here yapping away and they're not into it. Um, and also, parents, I just want to remind you of one thing um, because I know that we get very self-conscious as, as parents. Um, kid noise is not my enemy up here. So don't worry about that at all unless you're my kids. Um, then there will be no noise down here. Or if you're the lion's kids, see, they sent Caleb out already. This is good news. No, he's on the floor. Excellent. <laughs> good start, guys. So, so, so just relax, parents. If your kids are in here, please don't get all self-conscious about them being here. I love having them here, and I will connect with them um, throughout our time here. Every so often, I have something that I want to talk to them about. And so, kids, let me just give you a little briefing on where we're at. What we've been talking about up here, us boring grown-ups, we've been talking talking about the work that your parents do, the jobs that your parents go to, the work that your parents do in the home. We've been talking about work. We've been talking about what that means. And today we're going to continue on with that. We're going to talk about more than just work today. We're going to talk about where that fits into our whole life and how they all integrate together, how they all intertwine together. And so um, that's what we're going to do as, as you guys follow along in here. Last week, um, we talked about the concept that your work does not define you. And we put some meat around that, and I kind of tore that apart. If you were not here last week, please do go and listen to it excuse me, on our website, um, because it's, uh, it sets up where we're going. Uh, we talked about it this, this past week um, as a staff. We talked about the fact, Peter and I were talking about the fact that really last week I took that whole identity piece and work and smashed it to bits and laid it on the floor. And now I have to do something with the mess I made. And so we're going to move forward with that. But to understand the mess that I made, go and listen to last week's message. Um, you are not defined by what you do. That's what we talked about last week. I am not defined by what I do. I am not defined. My identity is not my job. They're not the same thing. 
Just because I work as a pastor, that doesn't mean that's who I am. There's something greater, there's something deeper about who I am. And if I look even at my role as a dad, that does not define who I am. I am not identified by my success or failure as a father. That, even that, is not my identity. My boys play soccer and I don't base my success as a father and my identity on how many goals they score or how many shutouts Liam gets through the season. That's not how it works. They think it's a competition, but I'm a little more relaxed about it than they are. That's not how I am identified. My success or failure or the success or failure of my kids does not define me as a person and as a follower of Christ. That's not where my identity comes from. And we all need to understand that because we look for our sense of significance. We look for our sense of security in our work, in the things that we do so much. And we put so much value on those things that we lose sight of where our identity, where our significance, where our security comes from. And it's not from those things. It's not from what we do. It comes from a deeper place than that. And we've looked recently many times at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let's get that up on the screen right now. I want you to read this with me this time so that I'm not the only one reading it out loud this time. All right? Let's read this verse together. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This, brothers and sisters, is who we are. Peter writes about who we are, and this is what he says, and it's true. And out of this flows all the other things in our lives. But this, this comes first. This is who I am. And the things that I do flow out of this. All of the things that I do. Not just the things that I do on Sunday. All the things that I do. Throughout the week. Throughout my life. And so last week we... We dismantled this whole perspective that we have on work, and, and I want to go to work at rebuilding it. And so we move forward in First Peter chapter 2, and we've looked at First Peter 2.18, where Peter writes, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And listen, this is not an easy thing to do, and you know that. Unless you view your work from God's perspective, from his place, with his eyes, because we could very easily just see this as another religious obligation. Be subservient employees because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the Christian thing to do. That's not why he's saying to do this. I don't believe that God wants us to view our work this way. Now I face the, the challenge on a regular basis of, of answering big questions. Big, what is the meaning of life type questions. I get those as a dad. And as if that isn't enough, I get them as a pastor. All these questions about why are we here? Why do we exist? What is the purpose in what I'm doing? Why am I alive? What is life supposed to be like? So I want to talk about those things. 
And I love the challenge. This, this whole topic, it, it stirs something up in me and I want to go after it because I don't want to just put things in a little box and deal with them as little topics. I want to deal with all of life and I want to start on that today. One of the things that I think we're going to need to do if we're going to work through this together is we're going to need, we're going to, need to work with the bookends in mind. And let me explain what I mean. But in order for all of this stuff that we're talking about to truly have meaning, we're going to need to acknowledge that there are bookends. And over on one end is this bookend of God creating man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. And over here in the Garden of Eden, things were perfect. And they had this deep, intimate fellowship with God. They walked with him in the garden. They had his presence face to face. And things were good and they had a purpose. They had something to do. And we talked about the fact that one of the things that they had to do was to work. God called Adam to work the garden. He didn't just create this perfect garden that would maintain itself. Adam had to work the garden. And that was a positive, good thing. That was part of God's design for Adam. But here was this beautiful scenario where where all of these things tied together. They were all part of Adam's existence. And then we go way over here on the other end and we have this bookend of what happens when Jesus comes back and restores everything. What happens when this earth is returned to a perfect state where we will live forever. And it's going to be very much like what God created in the beginning. God's coming back and we're going to have that face-to-face fellowship with him. We're going to walk with him. We're going to see him. He's going to be right there with us. He is going to be our king. He's going to be right there. And we're going to have things to do. And we're going to have perfect relationships with each other. And all of this stuff is going to tie together in perfect unity. And so when we look at our existence right now, at this life that we have to lead, we cannot just believe, carry on believing, oh, that this is totally different. This isn't related to that or that. This stands on its own. And we can't define this. We can't explain this without the bookends. They make a difference. They have relevance to our existence right now. All of life was integrated and all of life still should be integrated right now. But we struggle with that. And well, we cannot experience the full restoration here and now because sin is still present here. Satan still exists here. We can experience many, many aspects of God's kingdom here and now. And we need to understand as much as we can about God's kingdom in order to live the lives that God has created us to live here and now. To represent his kingdom here and now. And to experience the fullness of what he's offered us during this life Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, to the full. And I want that. Jesus modeled this life for us in many ways. One of the, the characteristics of this life that he demonstrated for us is the aspect of integration. All of life was integrated. All of life went together in perfect harmony. And we see this for Jesus and his disciples this is something that concerns me more and more as I look at this command that Peter's given uh, to the servants in the church, the servant class. 
And my response to what Peter's written is this. I I do not want to study Peter's words as if they they were simply directions on how to be a better Christian in the work category of our lives. I don't want to look at it this way. There's a reality that we have to address before we move on in studying what God's telling us about work. Something that's been said many times of our culture and our worldview, our perspective on life, is that we here in the West very commonly compartmentalize our lives. We compartmentalize our lives. Kids, there's your new word for the day. Compartmentalize. We're going to use that word today. We have in our lives our our physical lives and our relational lives and our emotional lives and our intellectual lives. We have our personal lives and our private lives, our public lives. I mean, we have our work lives and our leisure lives. And even for our kids, they have their school lives and their sports lives and their church lives and their home lives. It's all in these little boxes, these little compartments. And somewhere in there, we squeeze in our spiritual lives. We live compartmentalized lives. But I do not see this kind of model lived out by Jesus and his disciples. It's not there. I do not see this kind of compartmentalized living taught or affirmed in the Bible. What I do see is an integrated whole life kind of faith. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for us. Sadly, the result of this compartmentalizing is that what we refer to as our faith has been limited to a box. It's been put in a box. It's been put in a compartment Faith has been imprisoned, relegated, isolated, segregated. And even more sadly, our faith gets compartmentalized into our smallest box, our smallest compartment, more than any other place. And I want to challenge that this morning. The living out of our faith becomes a leisure time activity. The time we've got left over after the rest of our lives are lived out, we live out our faith then. I've been doing a lot of reading and digging into this because I really do want to understand it. And I have a lot of anxiety about standing up here talking about it because I haven't got it all figured out yet. But I want to work through this with you. And so one of the things that I read pointed out the fact that there's this model that exists right now in terms of where faith fits into our lives where our walk with god fits into the rest of our lives and it's just well put it's well stated and i want to put that in front of us this morning that there is a a model that we have that we're working with in ministry as as church leaders this is the model that culturally we've been working with and it's this model as church leaders, as, as pastors, as ministry leaders, our model is to recruit the people of God to use some of their leisure time to join the missionary initiatives of church paid workers. Frighteningly accurate, isn't it? And this causes a lot of discontent and unrest in me. Because when I'm stared, when, I, when I'm in, when that's in my face, when I'm staring at this reality, and this is what I see, I go, "Oh man, yep, this is what we do here." 
We recruit the people of God to use some of their leisure time to join the missionary initiatives of church-paid workers. But there's, that's, that can't be it. That can't be it. We can't stay there. We can't be stuck here and think that this is what God has in mind for us. And as a church, we want to have a different model in mind. We want to begin to operate differently. This is the model that we need. We exist to equip the people of God for fruitful mission in all of their lives, in every area of their lives. Now, I'm your pastor. You hired me. Which one do you want me to operate under? Just point to it. I hope you're going to point this way because I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to try and, and suck away some of your personal time, some of your family time in order for you to do something Christian, do something spiritual. That's not how God created us. That's not the design that God has for us. He's got something bigger for us. He's got something better for us. And what I want to keep in mind, the perspective that I want to have is this. It's my job to equip you to be fruitful in all that you do. Not just to take a very small portion of your time and squeeze everything that I can out of you. There's a major cost that comes with this. If this is how we're going to operate... This comes with an enormous cost. Part of that cost is simply this. What we're going after, honestly, is about 5% of your time, right? And the other 95% of your time, we're just going to ignore. We're not going to do this. If this is how we operate, then faith is, is limited to religious obligation because we look at our faith and the spiritual things we do and we've got to schedule them. We've got to fit them into that 5%. That's a cost. And that's not the way God designed it to be. And then if we look at that, that little bit of time that we have and we're trying to squeeze all these spiritual activities into that little bit of our leisure, leisure time... What happens when we don't get enough of it in there? Well, now we go through this battle of, okay, in my personal leisure time, boy, I really didn't do a lot of church activities over the last month, and now I'm starting to feel guilty. I'm starting to feel remorse because I didn't squeeze it in. I didn't get my religious obligations in. I didn't fulfill what I'm supposed to do with that little time of my life. And there comes the regret. And I tell you what, selfishly, if this, if this is how we're viewing life, if this is what we're going after, doesn't it put a lot of pressure on your free time? It does, doesn't it? That's not God's design. And out of this, out of this then, if, if this is how we're looking at it, if we've compartmentalized our spiritual lives into this tiny little portion of our lives, when we begin to look around us, we start to compare ourselves. We start to compete with others. How are you using that 5% of your life? Because I'm using it better than you are. I'm doing more things in that 5% than you are. 
or I'm doing less in that 5% than that person is. And that comparison and competition starts to creep up and it starts to divide people. It pushes people in the church apart because we measure each other based on what we do with the 5% of our lives. Not God's design. God did not design us to live with this gap, this huge gap between our ministry or mission time and our career time. Think about your time at work, 40 hours, 50, 60, more. I'm not just speaking to those of us who leave the home to work. We all invest a lot in our work, in the stuff that we do, in our place. We called it our place last week. But how often do you connect your faith to your work or to your workplace? And I mean besides the occasional conversations that may involve the topic of church or God. My view on all this, Chapel Hill is changing rapidly these days. I'm wrestling a lot with this. I believe that the integration of faith and work is not as simple as, as getting up the courage to have more faith conversations with people. Um, it, it's not just about evangelism. I believe that there's more to it than that. And the more is not just more religious duty, more religious obligation, more activity. That's not the answer to this. Our faith lives are to be lived out in every moment of every day, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, and just like it's going to be when Christ returns and sets things straight again. Our workplace is a place where our faith is to be lived out, and we need to learn how. And again, I feel that inner tension over this. (laughs) Don't come up to me after the service and say, okay, how? I'm not there yet. But I want to keep digging. I want to figure this out. And I accept full responsibility for leading us through the process of getting closer to God's design for our lives. So how did Jesus interact with his, with the workplace? Let's start there. And this was really eye-opening for me. Um, this is something that, again, I, as, I, as I dug into it, um, this is some stuff that I found about Jesus and his disciples and how they operated. And, and even more specifically than that, where they operated. And I want to show you three pie charts right now that kind of lay out the activity of Jesus and his disciples in the Gospels and in the book of Acts later, the first two are the Gospels. And I want, I want to show you something about where Jesus operated, about where we see him active. So give me the first pie chart, Alan. Public appearances of Jesus. 122 of them were in the marketplace. 10 were not. Did you realize that Jesus carried out so much of his ministry that way? That's how radically different it was. That's the difference, the comparison between Jesus operating in the marketplace, in the public places, versus being hidden away. Like we view so much of our spiritual lives. Second one is this. Parables of Jesus. 45 of them were spoken in the marketplace. Only seven not in the marketplace. This is how he operated. Third one is this. Those two had to do with the gospels. This is the book of Acts. 
divine intervention, the Holy Spirit moving in the book of Acts happened 39 times out in the marketplace and once anywhere else. I want you to listen to this quote from a a book called The Pastor's Guide to Fruitful Work and Economic Wisdom. And to those of you who really know me, you're like, he was reading that? (laughs) And I'm loving this. I'm eating it up. This is the introduction to the book. Um, It followed the three pie charts that I just showed you. And this is what the author wrote. He said, if the kingdom must manifest itself in the public square, in work and in economics, as well as other places, then the church building is not the front line of the spiritual war. It is more like a base camp or field hospital. The front lines are in homes, workplaces, and communities. The calling of God is in every arena of service, and all believers are in full-time service to Christ from the moment they become Christians. Amen, right? That gets me fired up. That motivates me. That's how I want us to view life. I think this is God's perspective, and this is where I want us to focus for a while as a church. How do we move from where we are, from the model that we have, and obviously this doesn't speak to everything. How do we move in general from this model to this model? There has to be a way to get there. Somehow. We're going to have to adopt a whole life view of faith. And that's the conversation I want to open this morning. So let me make some statements about whole life faith. And then we'll start to wrap this up here. Whole life faith begins with an understanding that God's design for my life now is not radically different from his original design and the design that he has for the time of Christ's return. Whole life faith begins with a willingness to let go of the idea that this life is mine to live the way I want to live it and God can have the next life. Whole life faith begins with a desire to know God's full purpose for my life. Whole life faith begins with seeing what God sees when he looks at this world. Whole life faith begins with the belief that the rewards that await me when Christ returns and restores everything are enough for me. Whole life faith begins with a desire to join God in his full-time mission to redeem and restore all that he created. Whole life faith begins with my willingness to admit that I have compartmentalized my life and I'm simply not content with that. Church, we have some work to do. We have some ground to cover. I'm very confident that my life will take on a whole lot more meaning than it ever has as we dig into this. And so will yours. I want us to go there together. Let me end this morning by taking us way, way back to a vision that God put in the hearts of his people. Um, It's still his vision for his people. No matter how many years have passed since he first spoke this. This is the story of Abraham and God's incredible covenant to him. 
God calls Abraham to leave his country and his people and go to a place that he was going to show them. And then God makes this promise to Abraham. He says, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Kids, how many of you know the song Father Abraham? (laughs) Adults, how many of you know the song Father Abraham? (laughs) Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Guess what, church? I am one of them and so are you. We are. We are. The great nation that God was talking about. That's us. We are the ones that God has chosen to bless the world through. He told Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. What did Peter just write to us? He calls us a holy nation. A chosen race. A people for God's possession. We are Abraham's family. We are God's family. And the vision that God gave Abraham is the vision that he has given us. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through us. Through you and me. Through God's chosen people. This holy nation. And that, brothers and sisters, is not something that God envisions us doing with 5% of our time. We can't squeeze that into our leisure time. That vision is so much bigger. That vision requires our whole life. That's the kind of faith that God's calling us to. Whole life faith. That's where I want us to go for a little while here and figure this out. We'll keep talking about this. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward now to take our offering and we'll close the service together. Um, While they come, let's pray together, church. Father, how frequently we take ourselves out of the picture when we look at things that you've said to your people thousands of years ago. And oh, how much we miss when we do that. God, open our eyes to see that that when you spoke to Abraham of your vision for this world and how you were going to use your people, we were there. Those words were intended for our ears. And when you spoke to your church through Peter, we are that church. God, you've created us for for great things. You've created us to bless all of the families of the earth. They will be blessed through us. 
So it only makes sense then that we need to take a good, hard look at our lives. And ask us whether or not, ask ourselves whether or not we have a whole life faith. Or whether or not we have, maybe we just have religion that fits into a small category in our lives. Oh, Father, forgive us for the ways that we have compartmentalized our faith. For the ways that we've taken our spirituality and put it in this little category, this little box. And tried to fit it into our leisure time so that we can feel good about ourselves. God, open our eyes. Thank you that your redeeming plan, your restoring plan includes us. It includes your church. God, restore this church. So that we can be used to fulfill the vision that you gave to Abraham. Thank you for the the incredibly beautiful identity that you have given to us, the value that you have put on us as your children. Now, God, continue to shape us into the people that you need us to be, into the church that you desire us to be. Shape our perspective, shape our worldview, shape our vision. So that we can see you everywhere in everything and realize that your plan is a plan for every moment of our lives. God, we're yours. We belong to you. We are a people for your own possession. Now take what you own, what's rightfully yours, and use it for your glory, for your purpose for your mission, for your ministry, for your plan. We commit ourselves to you again in Jesus' precious name. Amen.